Welcome to Press Play, the Street Cred podcast with Elena Krasdow, yours truly, and Jimmy Moak from Street Cred PR. In this podcast, Jimmy and I will welcome industry leaders, journalists, influencers, and friends of the firm to shed some light on who they are and the various twists and turns that led them to where they are today. We're grateful to have you listening in, and we hope you enjoy the show. My name is Elena Krasnow. Welcome to Press Play, the Street Cred Podcast. I am so grateful you're here. I'm the editorial manager and client brand evangelist at Street Cred PR and your host for today's show, along with co-host and managing partner, Jimmy Moak. We will break down the show into two segments, Press, where we dive into all the hard news about our guest's life and their professional goals, and then Play, where we have a little extra fun with it. Today, we are beyond excited to be joined by fintech journalist and founder of Fintech is Femme, not to mention my very dear friend, Nicole Kasperson. To give our listeners the inside scoop on Nicole and all her badassery, Nicole is the founder of Fintech is Femme, a media brand that not only provides the latest fintech analysis, but also champions the stories and insights of women and diverse voices in fintech. As a founder, Nicole has grown a multi-million dollar brand from scratch. She creates the content, strategy, and voice of her brand by providing news coverage to over 50,000 subscribers via the Fintech is Femme newsletter and event series. If you haven't been to a Fintech is Femme event yet, it would be in your best interest to RSVP for the next one. She is also the host of the Humans of Fintech podcast, a podcast dedicated to highlighting the voices of women and other underrepresented groups, giving listeners insight into how they too can find belonging in the fintech space. And she leads the Real Talk community, a no BS community focused on connecting and advancing women in fintech. Nicole teaches financial management at the Parsons School of Design in New York City and is a regular contributor to Forbes, writing about topics that intersect gender, equity, finance, and technology. In 2022, she was named a top inspiring female in fintech by NYC Fintech Women, a top influencer in financial Twitter by ETFtrends.com, and was recognized as a fintech nexus DEI Trailblazer Award finalist. Nicole is an international public speaker, having spoken about fintech and equality at events like the 2023 Women's World Banking Summit in Mumbai, Money 2020 Amsterdam and Las Vegas, Future Proof, Orion Ascent, and so many more. Nicole, welcome to the show. Elena, thank you so much for having me on your show. I am so thrilled to be here and so thrilled to see you hosting this podcast. What a moment for us. I know. I love it. And Jimmy and I are over the moon to have you on as a guest. Thank you so much hey, for joining Jimmy. us. Hey, Jimmy. How's it Nicole, going? how are you? So great to see you, to have you here. Thank you for coming aboard Press Play. We're pumped to have you. Thank you. I can feel it in your energy. <laughs> well, <laughs> the energy is sizzling in the room. It's sizzling. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was sharing with Elena and our producer before you hopped on that I just conducted a media training which went exactly an hour long before coming on to here. So please give me a little bit of grace because I'm oh. hopeful that my voice won't crack too much and that I am going to do my best to have my energy match Elena's and your own. I love that. Thank you. All Jimmy. the grace in the world. Always. Always. Thank always, you, always. <laughs> Especially with this team. So, Nicole, I know you've listened to a few episodes now. You can probably guess what our first question is. But before we dive into all things about you, we like to start off with something that we find really important, which is what did you have for lunch today? This is the most important question. Um, Food is always, always top of mind. Um, And so is eating. If you're working (laughs) and listening to this, please eat lunch. I remember the first time. My first job, I think I, I tried to do the whole skip lunch, work through lunch thing. And it's just silly. Don't do it. Um, Yeah. Well, so funny enough. So I'm a part of a community in New York called Builders. And it's a space for entrepreneurs, investors and innovators to come together. And we're basically all dedicated to making the world a better place through our work initiatives from you know gender equity and financial inclusion, like what I do, and sustainability and climate change. So Uh, I fundamentally believe that even as a community builder myself, I need to be a part of other communities outside of fintech. Um, But anyways, that's basically my way of saying we got together this morning and I had uh, fruit and salmon cream cheese Mm. bagel and like three cups of coffee. So that's kind of been (laughs) what has sustained me from like 8 a.m. until now. Love it. So you haven't had lunch. I that was. 
bagel i don't usually eat breakfast like usually it's like breakfast is three cups of coffee and then maybe around like noon i finally eat something but yeah i don't i'm not like a big breakfast person but like i show up to this breakfast meeting and there's this whole spread i mean you know i'm gonna eat it so it's like (laughs) i substituted i don't need that like i think sometimes as humans we like over consume a lot and i've come to find that like I have done that a lot in the past with food and I personally don't need like three giant meals a day. I really only need like two. So if I can do like one giant meal in the in the morning or afternoon and then, you know, my dinner, which we never skip. Um, yeah, that, tends, that just seems to work for me. All right. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, you know, I'm feeling, you know, thank you. When I when I think about this question, it really brings me back to when we all used to work at an office. Yep. And no matter who you would run into in the cubicle land or in the kitchen or by the water cooler, <laughs> it was always it was always a question that would come up. Hey, what's for lunch today? And that would that's why I feel it's important to continue on with this tradition and remind people to eat a good lunch, whether it's one of Carry three meals or, or one of two mm. meals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I had a shake say, today. So you had a pretty- shake? Yeah, pretty boring. <laughs> okay. See, like you could say that skipping lunch, but I actually would count that as well because you can put so much into a shake from the protein so to the whole thing. Funny enough, when I was at the the you know couple years I was at Investment News, um, it was all lockdown time, basically, until like the end there. And so that's actually when I really found, you know, eating lunch was so important in my work day. Um, not only because food, but also in life, but because of the like mental break that it actually gives. So during the the lockdown, I had like my own little home office and then um, I would move locations to eat lunch um, that my partner Anton would cook for me. I know I'm very I'm very spoiled. Uh, (laughs) Anton is so good to you. (laughs) I know. So he would cook me lunch and every time he'd be like, come on, it's it's getting cold. You better hurry. And it was like his way of just like getting me to like unchain myself from the desk to sit down for 15 minutes and have a meal, you know, and and yep. and, and talk and catch up and have a quick break and then go back to what I'm doing. Like, I don't need to bring my food to my desk and like work through lunch. That's weird. <laughs> and it really doesn't take that long to eat lunch. Like better right. to just focus on one thing. One thing I always say is no one is actually a good multitasker, despite it's what true. you might think. You'll much, you're much better off just focusing on one thing at a time. It's so uh, true. Well, now that we've concluded the nutritionist expert portion of the podcast, um, let's dive in. Nicole, we have so much to talk about. Obviously, I know your story very well, but take us back to the beginning for the rest of the world. Mm. Share a little bit, you know, about what inspired you to pursue a career as a journalist and how you found yourself as the lead fintech reporter at Investment News before launching Fintech as Femme. Oh, well, I mean, since the beginning of time. <laughs> um, but actually, like, so when I think about the beginning, I think of actually like the the actual beginning of time. Humans have been developing their ideas and inspirations and beliefs of the world and through through stories. You know, we as humans are just a collection of all the stories that we've been told throughout our lives. Um, I've always been fascinated by that human nature to grab onto stories that make us feel seen because at the end of the day, we're all humans and we're very communal creatures. And all we want in life is to feel like we belong somewhere, whether we realize that or not. Growing up, I never felt like I quite belonged anywhere. That is largely due to being half Filipina. I never really saw myself reflected in stories or in media. In fact, I'm okay. I'm 29 years old today. It's 2023. And for the first time in my life, I'm watching an Amazon series and a Netflix series with a half Asian, half white female lead and seeing Olivia Rodrigo become a global pop star. Like it gives me chills just thinking about it because for the first time in my life, I'm seeing my exact experience being portrayed in media. And and her and those stories are stories that are things that have happened to me and experienced in my world. And so, you know, it 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 made me feel that belonging. And I I do truly believe that presence creates possibilities. Uh, so I became I a that. journalist to to write the stories of incredible people whose presence has created possibilities for others who grew up feeling like an outsider like me. And 
after grad school, I landed in the world of B2B journalism and media as a reporter covering the first beat I ever had was the mortgage industry. I quickly learned that I actually held so much power in writing the narrative about an industry that drives our economy and writing for the executives that run it. To me, that also holds a tremendous responsibility to show an industry like financial advice, wealth management, which I covered while at Investment News, how they can think differently. Like the beauty of fintech is that it's an industry designed to think about financial services differently. Mm. How can tech improve X, you know, how do we progress alongside changing shifts in culture? I've uh, I've always like leaned into that mindset of doing things differently. And that really is what kind of led me to my role at Investment News. Uh, A fun secret nugget as I was thinking about um, that journey that I would share is actually George Moriarty, who hired me. He was the chief content officer at Investment News at the time. He In our first interview together, he said to me that my resume made him feel like he was reading his own, which was such a beautiful compliment. We've never worked together, mind you, but it was such a beautiful compliment. And he was like, I fundamentally believe in more like young journalists climbing the journalistic ladder through B2B publications and media. I had never had anyone say that to me in my life. It really, really did stick with me. But he brought me in. He brought me to to investment news and he brought me in to freshen up the coverage of of fintech with new ideas. And and ultimately, I'm I was super grateful for that. And so here we are today. Wow. George is the man. He uh, is. He actually he lives in the next town over from me. He's in oh, Washington. Yeah. He's in Washington's Crossing, PA. I'm in Yardley, PA. And uh Your neighbors. Yeah. We we hey, prob- we've had uh we're gonna tag you in this show, George. We, <laughs> we we've had a few uh lunch get togethers. We try to do it twice a year, I'd say. And he's now at Axios uh yeah. in a, as an editor. And uh, he and I stay in touch given what we do and what he does. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, what just like a cool guy. And he was always just like pretty laid back given how, you know, intense our industry is. And, and you know, so I just I really appreciate that about him. But it goes to show you, you know, I can I can remember these like pieces of information and these moments yeah. when people have let me know when you know, their experiences mirror mine or vice versa. And just there's just so much sense of belonging that happens there. And it makes it makes you feel like you are a part of something. It makes you feel like you're, you know, you're being seen and heard. It's just it's it's the best. I mean, it's what I'm here. It's why I became a journalist. And representation matters so much. And I love what you were saying about, you know, with that power comes great responsibility. And I think you've really wielded that responsibility beautifully, especially you know, or not especially, but also in your post investment news career, what was it like leaving the world of traditional financial media to start something completely new? Yeah, I had a few reoccurring thoughts while deciding if I wanted to leave investment news to create my own media brand. And the first was first thought is I wondered if anyone would give a shit about my thoughts and opinions on the industry without the investment news name attached to my byline. Like just full transparency, that's like the first thing that comes to mind, right? Yeah. That was a that was a risk. Then I thought about myself. I thought, how many years of my life would I be willing to give the power of my career to the hands of, you know, someone else, an editor, whatever. Right. And typically an older white gentleman. When when would they think I would be good enough? When would they think that my voice mattered? Would it be when I turned 30? Would it be 40, 50? I don't know. And so, you know, nothing in this life is guaranteed and there is no safety net. And I got called brave a lot for doing what I did. But honestly, when it came down to the decision, I it felt like I chose me. I chose to bet on myself. I chose to bet on human connection and its ability to help me attract my audience by being authentically me. Zero to 50,000 subscribers in less than a year. It looks like going all in on me was the right call. So, you know, I, I have more people reading my work today than ever before. It's been a fucking ride. 
Um, but I became, you know, I, I've heard this in, in entrepreneurial you know, land that you really have to become, you don't, you don't become obsessed with your product. You become obsessed with your, with the problem that you're trying to solve. Mm. And I'm so obsessed with the problem, this problem in media that the stories we tell matter so much, but there aren't enough stories of women, especially women of color in finance, tech, fintech, wealth management, you name it. And I don't, you know, mean highlighting their stories in this DEI sidebars conversation. I mean, placing their stories as front page news, just like anything else, placing their quotes, their opinions, their perspectives as center stage. And, you know, I knew there was a gap in the market. So I built FinTech is Femme to fill that gap. Yeah. How did how did you connect with the team at Workweek? Yeah. So they actually, Twitter, Twitter. Always. It all went down in a DM, literally. I <laughs> <laughs> actually. So, um, in about like the summer of 2021, uh, the founder. This is actually a funny story because the founder and CEO of Workweek, he emails me, and of course, Workweek doesn't exist yet. So he emails me and he's like, "Hey, Nicole, really like your work. I'm starting a new media company, and I'd love to tell you about it." I read things so fast sometimes, especially like back in my more traditional reporter days. I guess I still do now. But I, you know, you get a lot of pitches. You guys know the drill. I get a lot of DMs like, oh my God, do you want to like interview my founder? Do you want to do this? Whatever. And um, (laughs) so I thought it was just another guy from like a PR firm ask like asking me to tell me about his media company. And I didn't think anything of it. And I was just like, sure, like send me the stuff. And I sent him my I even sent him my investment news email at the time. Like I thought it was work (laughs) related. I quickly find out. So then we like we set up a meeting and I find out this is not, this is like some something completely <laughs> different. I was like, Ooh, I probably should have sent you my personal email. But yeah, like I literally <laughs> thought it was, it was just someone else pitching me something. And um, no, it turned out, he, you know, this guy comes on and he tells me that they're starting this media brand called work week where they want to take content creators or people that are so deeply, you know, experts in their field, whether it's FinTech, whether it's, franchises, whether it's climate tech, you know, you name it. And we want to make them basically like business influencers, right? So we want you to like write your own newsletter, host your own podcast, do the whole thing. And it was just like, I mean, I thought it was a joke, right? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this isn't real. Um, Yeah, I actually distinctly remember when I was leaving Investment News. I think it was like, I feel like it was Bruce Kelly. We love Bruce. I think he was the one that was, I told him what I was doing. I was like, oh, I'm I'm doing my own podcast and newsletter. He was like, I didn't even know you could do that for a job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a dream job. Me either. So, I mean, like I said, it was like, it was such a, yeah, it was a bet. I was betting on this startup that doesn't exist. I was betting on an idea that I had that, didn't really exist until I just put a pitch together and pitched it to them. Yeah. So that's what I did. I created a pitch for the idea of what I would do, the angle I would want to take. I sent it to them. We had a bunch of meetings about it. They were like, we love this. We think this can really be something. Here we are today. So aside from making sure that all of my future interviews for my next career, I don't give out Jimmy at (laughs) streetcredpr.com as the email address, uh, you're hitting on something that I think is important for anyone to listen to. You were faced with the question of what if, what if I stay or what if I invest in myself? Mm -hmm. The fact that you're so young, uh, give you the the safety net, so to speak, in terms of going and, and trying to create this new position? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a factor, right? I mean, I had mentioned how, for me, the the big mindset shift for me from thinking, this is a joke, to, oh my gosh, I should really pursue this, was my age, right? I was 27 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, do I give my 20s, you know, oh, up to not bet on myself? When will I feel comfortable doing this? Mm-hmm. Now, it, there's no better time than now. And I, you know, and it's funny because one of my other this, it's like so fun to reminisce of investment news. But like one of my uh, big inspirations is actually Mary Beth Franklin. And, you know, we got a age gap. So and, you know, and, and she's, you know, anyways, so she's someone who I always like 
was so inspired by her ability to like be a contributor at investment news and host her own podcast and do her own things. And she's like got her hands everywhere. And, you know, her origin story that she would shared has shared with me is like, you know, before there was social media, she was handwriting to to her readers le- letters like she said she'd have stacks of of letters from her readers, you know, and that she's ha- having to to, you know, pigeon carry over. Just kidding. Um, but anyway, so like <laughs> it it's it's just so cool to see someone like her do it in the you know in a in a different time in a less you know tech savvy time and then me being able in a younger capacity to almost mirror that um is really inspiring to me so and, and like amazing yeah and how she she bet or was all in on social security yeah the it seems like what you took from that is i am going to be all in on fintech right right well i mean I think that when you exactly like you have to you find the passion, right? I mean, fintech for me is there's is is like the direct correlation to the social equity that I hope to see in the world. It all starts with finance. It all st- and then and and now we're at a point where technology is becoming so advanced and it's reducing, you know, overhead costs for companies and being able to open access Two more people. This is the dopest industry I've ever seen. One, you know, I want to be a part of that. I want to help us get there. I want to be, I want to tell that story. And and there's honestly, there's it's funny, there's so much fintech news going on and so many things. And, you know, I feel like there's more coverage of the space than ever before. But yeah, there you there's so I think that there was such a gap for, you know, I leaned into fintech at the beginning. And then I really I doubled down on my yeah. very, you know, female focus because that's what was missing. You know, there's yeah. more than enough fintech content. But is there more than enough fintech com- content that makes women feel like they belong here? No. Right. And I think that's yeah, I feel like there's tons of fintech content. There's really nothing like you're a newsletter um, and talk us through a little bit. So we've talked about how, you know, you got started with Workweek. Initially, it was what the fintech. Now it's fintech as femme. What made you decide to have that major rebrand? And you know, how have you seen the platform evolve since doing so? I remember flying out to New York, meeting up with you and Trudy when you oh. had just rebranded the podcast from What the Fintech to Humans of Fintech. Also an amazing <laughs> conversation between Nicole and Trudy. Everyone go check it out. But yeah, how have things evolved since you've rebranded the entire thing to fintech as femme? Yeah, I know. Wild. So the the story behind that is that so I originally landed on what the fintech. Um, I liked that it was like a little provocative, a little playful on, you know, uh, on cursing, whatever fun. Because I, when I first started, I, I thought I was really just going to cover fintech news, just like I always have. Right. I kind of did that at the start, you know, more company updates, less opinions. Uh, you know, I, it took me a minute to break out of, you know, I am a journalist and I do not share my thoughts or opinions. <laughs> uh, you know, come to realize that is that 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 sharing my thoughts and opinions and my perspective on the industry was what would catapult me from oh that's a nice newsletter to oh my god you're Nicole Casperson like I, I, I it's you you know and so yeah. um yeah I realized I needed to lean more into my community and which is the powerful leading women in fintech right fruities of the world and the more I made my voice and my perspective crystal clear the more I realized that people were resonating with me, right? The more they had to, they were able to connect with what I had to say. I make myself vulnerable with fintech is femme. I cover stories no one else is talking about. I call things out that are problematic. I connect dots that not everyone wants to see connected or think are connected. So I think of it like finding your most loyal and engaged like audience readers fans whatever you want to call them by changing the name which fintech is femme came about from me wanting to have alliteration with my event series Mm -hmm. we were like fintech females french fries nope we can call (laughs) that um fintech we just like kept talking and talking until we landed on fintech is femme it's clean simple it's uh it's a statement. It's um, I changed from what the fintech, oh, 
that's an interesting news source to fintech is femme is a rallying cry. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, you know, and it gets a very specific audience hyped up and it gets them, you know, excited and it makes them feel something. It makes them feel like they belong. When you sign up for my newsletter, the welcome email that you get from me, the subject line is the only in the room. Because if there's one thing I hear time and time and again, it's just that, you know, I'm I'm always the only in the room. I'm tired of it. I heard it at the breakfast I was at this morning. Like, yeah. thank you for writing something that makes me feel like I'm not the only one here. So that was the big shift. And actually, when I changed from what the fintech to fintech is femme, my organic growth went up. My my CAC was smaller than ever. They were able to turn off, you know, uh, by they, I talk about work week. They, they were able to reduce, you know, the marketing dollars put forward for my brand because I was just naturally attracting right. the community that I had naturally brought to me from just being myself. Right. And so I, and it's I'm been so beautiful it. to watch. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's been explosive and so powerful. Do you have any, because obviously there are other women, like you said, who feel like the only um, do you have any advice for other founders, women, maybe specifically who are considering a major rebrand or, you know, what you did that you wouldn't do again, what you did that you would definitely do again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think when one, I think we have to normalize rebrands and I think we should normalize that people, you know, founders of companies or whatever and companies themselves, they evolve, they change. I always think something something that sticks in my mind is when the founder and CEO of Workweek, one time he we were having a meeting and he's like, Nicole, you've changed your headshot like three times this year. And I was like, and I might do it three more times. Who knows? <laughs> like, who knows who I'm going to be, you know, in, in a month, in two months? What? Who knows what life altering thing might change me? Who knows what travel, you know, will will make me want to come home, chop my hair off and, and have a new attitude like you never know. And so, you know, and, and, and that and, and entrepreneurs are so attached to, you know, their 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 businesses and they feel like these extensions of themselves. And, and that's, you know, it tends to be how fintech is femme feels. So, you know, my advice would be, to not think about chasing a user or chasing a client or chasing an audience, I would think about attracting. You know, you attract mm. you attract energy, you attract what is yours, you attract what is meant for you in this universe. And so that would be my piece of advice is like, don't be afraid to change. I change all the time. Does it make it harder? Does it make the game longer? Yeah, but was I in this because it was easy? No, like I'm in this for the ride, for the long game. Something that you were hitting on earlier as it relates to the change from what the fintech to fintech is femme. And you answered my question by talking about how subscribers started to catapult, which is awesome. I think the connection between that and and, uh, something that we do on the PR side of things is the number one rule, know your audience, Mm. right? And it sounds like you were able to really know your audience by A, knowing yourself, Yep. Be what you wanted to do for yourself and thus others like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty incredible in our business world how much you can get out of someone by simply asking how they're how they are doing or how their day is. Um, yeah, it makes me think of like I just had this, you know, great profile in my Forbes column with Kathy Wood, where I profiled Kathy Wood. And, you know, I, I was able to, well, one, that was such a beautiful thing because I, you know, no one, I didn't have a Kathy Wood contact. I fill in this like generic ARK Invest, you know, media form, which you know what those are like. You're kind of just like, well, <laughs> shooting for the stars here and like hope for the best. And I, I fill it in. I tell them what I'm doing, whatever, whatever. And then I mean, their team got back to me like very right away. They let me know. They were like, their marketing people were like, we saw your work. We see what you're about. Like, we love what you do. Kathy Uh, would be happy to meet with you. Like, she's free Monday. Like, it was so cool. Yeah, it was very, very cool. And so I opened up that conversation with her. The first thing I asked her was like, how are you doing? It's like Monday at 1 p.m. What has life been like for you leading up to this point? And I mean, she just I can see her whole body language change, you know, because no, Mm. she literally is like, 
No one asks me this question. She's like, well, I just flew in from a red eye last night because my father turned 97 and I threw a party for him in California. And now I'm back in St. Petersburg. And she like tells me this whole thing. And I'm getting this like glimpse into her life. Um, but I share that story because you really should think that way with people. You have to like, whether it's a client, it's a user or whatever. I know that we're all look, I'm in the business of making money, too. But like we're also in a point in time in our culture where you really need to have that human connection with people that has gotten me very far like by playing the long game by you know people ask me how do you get a sally craw check or how do you become you know friends with lule de Messe? all these women that i'm you know always uplifting and obsessed with it's it's i i'm down for the long game i yeah. take my time you know it starts with a couple interviews and then it starts with them speaking at an event or then it starts maybe with a lunch or whatever like you just you have to build relationships with people this is a relationship game guys yeah and I, I remember reading the intro of that article that you wrote about Kathy and thinking like how humanizing it was of her and how that was such a beautiful element of the piece I yeah. love that that's like something you opened up with I think that's more powerful than people realize speaking of your writing style. Uh, one of the th other things that I love, which I think you sort of alluded to before about how, you know, maybe you sometimes connect things that people wouldn't even think to connect is how you're always incorporating pop culture and current news outside of the fintech space to answer questions about what's happening in fintech and about how the industry needs to evolve. Can you tell us a little bit more just about your writing process and how you've really established such a fresh voice in a space that might not always be welcoming to that sort of thing? Oh. That makes me think of one of my favorite humans, uh, two of my favorite humans. One, Daniel Crosby. Who uh, we love Daniel. Know, which uh, we love Daniel Crosby. Have him on the show. <laughs> he, he was just he once he once like tweeted it. And so I have to frame it and put it on my like wall of fame. You know, I don't got one of those, but I'm, we're going to have one of those eventually. We're manifesting. <laughs> um, I would I where he said that I was one of the, you know, best original thinkers in the uh. industry and that means like so much and and that also is the kind of encouragement that has me lean into my to the my style of writing someone else that actually uh sticks into my head as well is uh is samantha russell uh she made a comment to me when i was still at investment news and she told me just that what you just said elena she was like i love how much you're able to tie in like Yes. bigger picture things that are happening in the world with current events and you tie it into the financial advice industry and i was like okay like this is something people like i'm gonna like lean into this because you know i'm you got to be a human i know that in order to create any kind of art i actually i very much see my stories and my newsletter and what i do as like my form of one of my forms of creativity and i need to, to to make any of that worthwhile, I have to go out there and experience the world and reflect on my own mindsets. And I have to have a damn perspective, you know, to speak plainly. I think I cover the industry from the perspective that technology should make as many people's lives better as possible instead of just generating the most wealth for those with the most proximity. I travel the world and see so many incredible women making other people's lives better. When I was at the Women's World Banking Summit in India and in Mumbai, that was an entire summit dedicated to fintech founders from across the world and and banks from different countries from germany you know to to singapore and and everyone is coming together for three straight days of being dedicated to making the uh low income women's and entrepreneurs lives better like how cool is that so you know i think it's worth just like i search for stories that are about impact. So, you know, and I search for people that are really innovative, people that are getting to the root of problems and not just putting band-aids over situations. So, you know, for me, it's never about the highest raise. I really couldn't care less about that. It was kind of a pet peeve of mine when I worked at publications like, oh, well, they got to raise this much before we write about them or whatever. You know, I think it's not the highest raise. It's the biggest impact. Like, fastest go-to-market strategy how about a go-to-market strategy that actually reaches the people who need it most yeah you know and so that's that's how i am always thinking about it and and we're all and we're all human we should be we should not be obsessed with our little bubbles because then we we don't change and evolve and become 
innovative and better alongside the changing world that's happening all around us. It would be like mm -hmm. crazy for us to only consume finance and fintech news right? and content. So follow up. Have you been yeah. able to weave in anything related to the Barbie movie, which was huge this summer, into I mean, any fintech reporting? Yeah. Are you kidding? Um, <laughs> yes. So I wrote about Barbie because before I saw the movie and I had tied in a lot of the lessons that can be learned from Barbie's creation to its revival, you know, from uh, from the creator Ruth to, you know, director Greta Ger Ger Gerwig. And um, for me, the lessons were just kind of a lot of what we've been talking about today, not being afraid of of that of change not being afraid of taking something that has been you know and, and we can think of kind of like the financial system here right it has been both a great equalizer but also one of the greatest um depressors right one of the greatest things to divide us um and that's kind of you know barbie is rooted in in her and her being an icon for for women and was actually designed to be something for women to see themselves as more than just, you know, 50s housewives. And but the world, you know, construed her and and made her into something that suppressed women that didn't make them feel good, that, you know, gave them body dysmorphia. And we can really look at our systems and see the same thing. You know, we have to see that we're we're we can come into it with good but we're going to impact people in all these different ways so how are we going to address that how do we you know uh, Liza Landsman she's the new CEO of Stash she was she was on my podcast earlier this year and she said it so well she's like I love fintech because it feels like I'm able to satisfy like the devil like capitalist on my shoulder and like the angel who like wants to do good and help with financial inclusion like fintech is kind of this like perfect marriage of both um and, and meeting in the middle but anyways that's like my long way of saying that barbie was just another way of showing us how we can think about our systems differently and how we can approach being more innovative with our own work just the same way that barbie was able to be an icon and evolve over time and go from being you know feminist icon to anti feminist icon back to being feminist icon like we can do we can evolve too well you, you talk about the body image front the reason i haven't watched it yet is because <laughs> i don't have a stomach like ryan so you are kenuff jimmy i am i am not <laughs> kenuff. you are you are we all are <laughs> you are um Okay, let's get into a little bit about journalism and PR. Obviously, we have been P PR partners transparently, um, Street Cred and you for a long time. We adore working with you. But what do you look for in a strong PR partner? And also, what are the red flags? We also always welcome horror stories because they tend to be pretty funny. I don't know. I know. I'm like, I wish I had horror stories. Um, <laughs> I've been lucky. It's because I work with people like you. So I don't have horror Stop. stories. I mean that genuinely. Um, tr truly. Thank you. Um, I would say the relationship between journalism and PR is something that I've always had a pet peeve with as I've like gone about my career. And, you know, I've worked on a bunch of different publications in the B2B media space. And there tends to be this like general uh, PR tends to be very overlooked. You know, it's a space where even as a journalist, you know, editors are like, I can see my editors sending you guys like one word responses back to things like, Hey, we like you guys put this whole pitch together and do all this thing. And then they're like, sure. And I'm just like, are you serious? Like, come on, like, let's have a little bit more of a relationship here, because at the end of the day, for me, my relate people ask me all the time, how do you get Susie Orman on your podcast? How do you get, you know, so and so to speak at your event, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, back to relationships, all of those things happened. You know, my brand partnership with SoFi, all of that stuff happened because of a PR person who is obsessed mm -hmm. with me and my work and connected me to the right person. So all you people out there, like overlooking, <laughs> seriously, overlooking. I love this. Over, Dispelling like, the stamp or the stigma against PR people. <laughs> like quit it. Like, and, and also not to mention, like, there's still people like, hello, don't just say sure. Like, would you write sure back to any like respectable person? Maybe like, a, yeah. oh, hey, 
so-and-so PR person. Thanks for sending me this. I really, you know, I dig this. Like, I'd love to check out more, whatever. Like, you don't have to write an essay, but just like talk to people like they're people. But anyway, so that's, that's my spicy take on, on that relationship. So any young journalists out there, fresh or even old, whatever, looking to change their ways, be nice to PR people. They connect you to big names. Um, <laughs> well, we love you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I would say know what, when it comes to like working with PR people, I love folks that know what I stand for. I like it when they don't waste my time pitching me something that is so far outside of my point of view. I like when they understand my brand and its value and how it works. Um, I'd say my biggest pet peeve from a PR person is probably someone that reaches out to me asks and they're, they're like hey we have someone that we'd love to put you on the podcast i once had this with someone who was like pretty famous like someone that was like on mtv and shit and i was like yes and then they suddenly didn't have time for me they were like oh i'm sorry this is like schedule is like so busy so what that makes me think is that you mm. sent like a blanket email to you know a bunch of people you're not actually a fan of my stuff you know and so it's just like now I yep. don't want to talk to you ever again. Yes, it's that authenticity. It's it can be yeah. felt even over email or digital communication. And I think it really is the foundation of building relationships, especially in the world that we live in now. Yes, yes. Okay, well, one thing we also want to make sure to talk about is the recent project launch of the Real Talk community. This has been such a cool mm. thing to see you do. I know we love it. Why was this so important, though, for you personally to build? And what have you seen come out of the community so far? Yeah, it's like it's kind of my way to really, you know, it's like putting my money where my mouth is, if you will. So Real Talk launched in April, kind of my, you know, it is officially launched, but it felt almost like a soft launch for me. I've kept the community to like a 50 person cohort at this moment. But Real Talk is basically a community of ambitious fintech founders, investors, innovators who are all committed to pushing boundaries and lifting each other up as they strive towards professional and personal growth. It is rooted in basically the fintech is femme three pillars that I always live by, which is one, spreading awareness. We need women's perspectives and we need them loud and clear. Two, sharing blueprints blazing our own trails and bringing peers with us along the way, right? So when you spread awareness, more people see the blueprint. They have something to reference, right? Presence is possibility. So the third pillar is then the uplifting through community. And that's really what real talk is, right? Creating a nurturing space so that we all feel safe to be our authentic selves and put our voices forward. Um, you know, something that Sally Krawchick said at my event in April that stood out to me a lot when I was launching Real Talk is she said, the men in our lives have been playing the game of business and career as a team sport forever. Whereas women have been kind of trained to look at it as an individual game. Yeah, And so that resonated with me so much because it is how it feels. And so you know, what we really should be doing is instead of trying to break into an, a, a network or a group that doesn't feel authentic to you. Look, if you you a girl who loves to go golfing, like go golfing. But like we need to create there's like so much space for other communities, for other spaces where people can do the things that they like. Like at my real talk table where, you know, we're going to brunch, we're going to growth mindset workshops. Maybe we're going to go learn some poker. Maybe we're going to, so you know, cool. I want us to do things that make us grow and develop together because, you know, we're not the next or emerging leaders in the fintech space. We are the leaders in the fintech space. And with a mere eight percent of women taking up leadership roles in fintech i need as many of us to stick around and bring as many of, of us as we possibly can right so yeah. that's and that's what community does it's what it's done for me and now i'm like creating the one that i the community that i have always longed for you know a place for women that are maybe more uh in leadership roles in their fintech careers to be able to talk for real to be able to exchange job postings and possibilities you know i have community members who the beauty of it is you know someone maybe in a more managerial role who's looking for their next challenge or adventure or wants to leave their company bam the ceo and founder of a company that's hiring is in my community 
guess whose resume gets put right to the front of the line? My community members, right? Because they're they're in the same place. Yep. And so it's just creating that relationships, the networking, the circle of people that are always going to have your back, whether you need advice on a salary negotiation, advice on how a product should be built, advice on how to build your company, advice on in, in raising for your company, you know, looking for the new a new job, looking for someone to to employ. It's just having all of those resources at your fingertips in a in a very, you know, tight knit select group. It means everything. And we deserve to have those spaces to Yeah. I, think of it as like a gaslight free zone. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's so nice. You don't have to, you know, we just had a brunch the other day and it was so nice for us to come together and like I don't have to explain anything. I just say an experience and everyone's like, mm-hmm, yeah, that checks out. Mm-hmm. And it <laughs> and it feels so good. And then you just like feel confident and ready to like kick ass and take names. So I'm going to guess that I am not going to be invited to the real talk <laughs> conversation based upon my, um, well, just look at me. <clears throat> I mean, well, <laughs> but I have a 27 year old daughter, Cassidy, who is in, te- in, in tech sales in Washington, D.C. Do you have anything uh, planned on the horizon for the D.C. area? I'd love to get her, her involved. I'd love to come to New York. It's not that far. I've taken the bus from New York to D.C. It's not bad. There you go. If she does, if she does come to New York, just let me know. Actually, I would love to actually truly integrate her into the into the community and um, and all that good stuff. But, Jimmy, I would say more. It's more so that you're just not like a fintech exec (laughs) or operator. Less about your identity, more about your actual job. Well, because it's a lot of founders too, right? Yes, yes, yeah. It's a it's a lot of founders. My I would say my my audience is largely uh, fintech founders across a lot of different stages, though. Right. So you know, and that's that's really helpful. You know, we have yeah. we had um one of the founders in my community. She's raising, and she like talked us through. She's raising her, I believe she's doing her Series B. Anyways, so. She's done pre-seed. She's like done series A. Like she like knows the the steps. I was shoot, I was taking down notes. I was like, you know, in case I want to start a company one day. Like it it you learn so much from each other. So it's beautiful. It. Well, everything I've heard about it so far from everyone I know who's a part of the community is absolutely loving it. I've heard really good things about the Slack channel too and how it's just nonstop. So congratulations, honestly, on creating something once again that, you know, didn't exist in our space and was sorely needed. I'm sure there are so many women benefiting from this and the ripple effect of that is hard to quantify. Let's get into some play now, though. Uh, We'd love to start with our second segment and we'll run it a little bit rapid fire style. But we are all going to be playing in the sun together very soon. We're so excited to see you in person. What are you most looking forward to at Future Proof this year? Oh, getting a tan, um, <laughs> seeing all of you, of course. Uh, I mean, there's nothing better than getting together in person, right? I mean, I truly believe that. Um, it's also how you find your community is actually like putting on your shoes, you know, packing a bag and going and and showing up. Uh, showing up would be a huge piece of advice I would give to people. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm most excited for. I'm also excited about just to see how conversations and the content has evolved since last year. Yeah. Awesome. Last year I can't was wait. Good- yeah, last year was incredible, and we are going to top it somehow, some way. We will. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, if it weren't fintech, what do you think you'd be doing? Maybe I'd be a pop star or something. Or uh, no, um, I actually really love. I really do love music. Um, I would say maybe so. I don't need to be a pop star. No, no, no. Um, maybe <laughs> something more low key. I would rather like I could I could like travel the world and just like gig at venues across the world and live my life i think maybe that's what i would do i could see it (laughs) yeah sign me up for your first show i will um okay after hours what are you doing for fun yes okay so this actually ties into the last question because so tonight i actually am going to an open mic uh here in brooklyn where i live and um, my partner anton he's in a band so he's gonna play bass um and they're gonna play a couple songs 
And then I think his sister, who also lives with us, she's convinced me that I should also sing at this open mic. So I that's what I do for fun. Wow. Is, I, is I go as I go watch live music. It's why I live in Brooklyn. Honestly, I go watch live music. I hang out with musicians and then I try to be one. <laughs> and you are one. Yeah, exactly. You are. I yes, am. Absolutely. I mean, I, I if you're doing it, it, you're being it, right? It's so true. That's what I had so to true. tell myself as a writer. I'm like, I'm writing. So that makes me a writer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like I have no nerves speaking on stages, you know, about fintech and, and everything. And so we'll see how singing goes, but I'll keep you posted. I only sing in the shower. Sometimes in the car with <laughs> with my daughters, but oh. it's usually just a solo event. But I am my <laughs> well, you're biggest still fan. a singer, Jimmy. You're there still you a singer. You are. <laughs> awesome. And then, Nicole, we love to close the show with a little moment of gratitude. So shout out someone in the industry you admire, perhaps someone who works with you or somebody that you would like to work with. Who knows? Anybody. Who's somebody that you want to give some love to today? I mean, just so many people. I would give like love. Uh, I'm going to give you guys some love. Thank you for having me on your show. Um, thank you for being so supportive of me from Investment News through Fintech is Femme. Um, I would thank all of the incredible women who have been on my show, who have, you know, let me interview them and get a peek into their personal lives and journeys. Um, I'm very lucky because basically I'm just, you know, I am also a product of a bunch of different stories that have been told my way. And I'm very, very grateful and lucky to be able to have those stories come from people like Lule de Messe or Sally Krawcheck or Shruti Joshi or, you know, Liz Fritz and, and just an endless stream of passionate, um, smart, brilliant women. Their words echo in my brain every day and, and, mm. and keep me going. That's awesome. Shout out to the ladies. And Nicole, we are so grateful to you for joining us on our show. Thank you for being here. You've been an incredible guest. Um, yeah. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed learning about Nicole's phenomenal journey from traditional fintech journalist to creator, founder, fintech is femme, all of that. Uh, be sure to write us via email at pressplay at streetcredpr.com to tell us what you think, ask us any questions, suggest any guests or even just to tell us what you had for lunch today. Thanks again for tuning in, and we can't wait to introduce you to our next guest. Bye. Thank you for listening to Press Play, the Street Cred Podcast. Visit our website at streetcredpr.com and find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. And if you enjoyed the episode, we'd love nothing more than if you would rate and review the show. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Street Cred PR. The content has been made available for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. If you have questions about the show or Street Cred PR, feel free to reach out to us. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>